Um, just just a, a quick thing, you know, sometimes we have, have ways to, to maybe raise a little extra funds for the church because that's important. So we have a, a, something we're going to be starting here. Here's a, um, a picture of the sanctuary and this is going to start in October and we're going to start selling the seats in the sanctuary. So, um, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. So the seats up front, those are the $5 seats because that's the, that's the splash zone. So uh, <laughs> the seats in the middle, those are the $25 seats. And the seats at the back, $50, because those are the ones that go first, right? You know, like, like a good Bible church. Balcony, I think we just need to charge a couple hundred for the balcony. Just to, um, hi guys, good to see you guys up there. Um, no, okay, you can take that down. We're not, what, what, if I was serious about that, what would be wrong with that? Every, everything <laughs> that about sums it up, right? <laughs> but but it's a great way to earn some extra money for the church. It's for a good cause. What what's wrong with that? I, I'm, there's just stunned silence, <laughs> especially from the fifty dollar people in the back. <laughs> no, it, everything is wrong with it. That, as I was thinking through what all ro- is wrong with it, that was my answer to everything. Where do you start? How do we start quantifying the ability of people to, to worship? How do we start charging for that? If we say, okay, to come in, you have to pay a certain amount. And, and would that be a little distracting to worship? Yeah, especially if you didn't have your $50 that week and you had to sit up front. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, would be, it would take away everything that worship is to be about. Because God designed worship as a gift to his church, as a gift to his people, because worship has a way of of reaching the heart like nothing else can. And so God gave this beautiful gift to commune with him, to praise him, to worship him, that does something for the soul that nothing else does. This morning, we're going to be be looking at the life of Christ still as we go through Luke. And, And Jesus is going to address the issue of worship and specifically the abuses that he sees in worship, the distractions, the problems that he sees as he comes into the temple. And it's a familiar story. It's a familiar story of Jesus cleansing the temple and overturning the tables. You know, kids love it because they can practice at home and, and do all these things. But, but there are some profound lessons as we see the heart of Christ when it comes to worship in his place. Now today, I know this isn't a temple, but this is God's place. This is the assembling of believers together is a holy thing that God has designed for us to be able to worship together. The other thing I want to say right from the, say right from the start is worship is far more than just the music. Okay? We, we, we think worship, we think music. I do the same thing. I led worship up here for 15 years. And so when I think worship, I think music. But worship is, is everything we do that brings glory to God. Everything we do that, that focuses attention on him, that humbles ourselves, that says he is God and I am not, as I bring glory to him. So right now as we're studying God's word, we're worshiping. We're worshiping by how we go about this. And so we want to look at what does Jesus teach about worship? What can we learn out of this familiar story? And maybe some of the lessons are familiar and we just need to be reminded. That's great. That's awesome. We see repetition over and over in God's word. But maybe there's some things that we haven't thought of. You know, to put our story in, in context, last week we saw the triumphal entry. And that's the Sunday of Passion Week. Passion Week is the week that, that we call 
of Jesus' death. He's going to be crucified on Friday. So what happened in the week before that? And on Sunday of Passion Week, we saw the triumphal entry where Jesus is on the donkey and he deliberately pulls imagery from prophecy to show that he is king. The Messiah has come. And when we left last week's story, Luke left us with him on the Mount of Olives looking over the city of Jerusalem and everyone's rejoicing and Jesus just starts to weep. He just starts to weep because his people weren't responding to him. He said, oh, there could have been peace. There could have been so much more for you if you had just listened, if you had just responded. And we know on that Sunday, Sunday evening, he goes back to Bethany, home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he stays there overnight. And each day he went back to Bethany, a mile or two away, and, and stayed there and then came back to Jerusalem and came back specifically to the temple. And so we, we flip the page to Monday now. And, and he gets up in the morning, tells his disciples, hey, we're going to the temple today. And, and they're like, okay, we did yesterday. But it's Passover week, throngs of people are there. He says, we're going to the temple. And today we pick up the story with him entering the temple and what he sees. A place that is to be holy to God. A place that is set apart for worship to elevate who God is. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19 and let's see what, what Jesus sees. And as we do, I hope we ask ourselves, what, is, what would Jesus see if he came in here this morning? What should Jesus see? What is his heart? Luke chapter 19, we'll be looking starting at verse 45. Luke chapter 19, 45. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover one under a seat right around you. Love for you to open that up and follow along. Um, if you don't have one at home, take that home with, with you as our gift to you so you have God's word. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 45. And really this section of Luke begins a series of confrontations, a, a series of wars, and I've called this morning worship wars, because this is a, a war between Jesus and the Pharisees or a confrontation, a dispute, and Jesus is going to start systematically attacking the abuses that he sees. Because Jesus is looking for undefiled worship. Undefiled worship that seeks God's glory and shows God's glory to the nations. That is what he's looking for. Starting at verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. And Luke gives us just a very abbreviated version. We see a longer version in in Mark and Matthew and a a different version in, in John from earlier in his ministry. But he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And so we we get the setting here, we get the scene, and he comes into the temple, and what should he have found? What was he looking for? He was looking for worship and a reverence to God, a praising of God. He was, he was looking for a place where there was room for anyone to see God's glory and anyone to worship. I have a picture here of, of an artist's rendering of coming into the temple. And you see the temple in the background, and this is coming up the temple mount through the, the um, entrance stoya here. And you can see just masses of people, right? And so he's coming in here, and these people should have all been really moving toward the temple. And, and you had different areas, one for the Gentiles. You had the court of Gentiles. Then you have the court of women. And then you had where the Jewish men could go as, as they got closer and closer 
to the temple, but this whole area was to be an area of reverence to God. You would have been hearing some of the trumpets. You would have been hearing some of the prayers. And it just all should have been dedicated to that. But instead, that's not what he found. We know right from the first verse, 45, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. And right from the start, we see there were people buying and selling things here. So this would be like if the whole back three or four rows of the sanctuary here were selling stuff. You're coming in and we have a village t-shirt and maybe some little prayer cloths. You could come up and pray later during the service. And, and there's just stuff. And I could ask, what's wrong with that? And your answer probably should be everything. Because in our, in our minds, we're no, this is wrong. And that's what Jesus came in and saw. And that's what Jesus couldn't tolerate. And they're exchanging money and just some of the things they were doing. And and keep in mind, some of the things they were doing were good things. Travelers would have needed some doves or or a sheep for a sacrifice. Hard to bring with you on on a week's journey or however long it was. And so there was opportunity to buy some of those to give the sacrifices God wanted. One of the things they had to do was pay a temple tax. uh, and, And they had to use a temple shekel to do that. Well, that wasn't a normal currency, so you had to exchange the money somewhere along the way to be able to tithe. And th- that was their way of tithing. And, and so you had all these good services. The problem was they were moved into the area that was dedicated to worship. And, and we'll, we'll get to why that was such a problem when we get to some of our points. But, but Jesus comes in and he sees this. Imagine Jesus' heart, who loves the Father, who is God, who has designed this area to reflect who God is and to draw people into worship. And he comes in and there's like, hey, buy your shekels here. Hey, how about a sheep over here? And, and there is no holy, holy, holy. And his heart was grieved and he was angry. And there are times that anger is appropriate. And so Luke just says simply, he drove out those who sold. We know for some of the, from some of the other accounts, he's turning over tables and he fashions a whip. He will have none of this in his father's house, in the place of worship. And so Jesus zealously and in, in I hate to say enthusiastically, but with vigor, removes this affront to worship. And he takes care of it. And he drives them out and he restores this area to what it was intended to be. This violation of his holiness is now restored to a place of worship. That's the story. So what can we learn about worship? What can we learn about what genuine worship looks like, what God-honoring worship looks like that truly directs ourselves to God and not to anything else? And I just have six little points. And, And we'll go through these pretty quickly. Six different observations about worship from the text and actually the the verses that follow this that hopefully will remind us what worship is to be about. The first, genuine worship will show Jesus to those who don't know him yet. Genuine worship will show Jesus to those who don't know him yet. It'll be a testimony of God, about God, to anyone that may not know God. And, And Jesus intended worship to always include this component. This was sort of fun for me this week because I I forget that side of things. One of the purposes of worship is to be a testimony to others and and to say this is who our God is. This is what we believe about him. This is why we love him. This is why we're passionate about him. 
And so in verse 46, you see, he says, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And we can skip by that saying, yeah, we should pray. And we prayed this morning. Good. We're good on this one. But Jesus is actually quoting scripture here. And, and this meant so much more to them. He's quoting Isaiah in this case, Isaiah 56. When we studied Isaiah, we went through this passage. But Isaiah 56, 7 says, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And, and he's talking about the nations. He's talking about those that don't know him. These I will bring to my holy mountain, to Jerusalem, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. My, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And from the beginning, God's design for worship in his temple was that this would be a house of prayer, a house of worship for all peoples. It had an evangelistic thrust of saying, let's show God to the world. I have another picture of the temple, if we can put that up. And this will help us understand that that artist rendering, if I can get this to work, that artist rendering would have been standing over here under the stoya, and this would have been the entrance to the city where people would be coming up through here and some coming up through these little, these little entrance ways. But there would have been a little fence here, sort of uh, close to there. And this whole area out here was called the Court of Gentiles. And the Court of Gentiles is where anyone could come from the nations. If you weren't a Jew, if you, if you hadn't proselytized in yet, if you weren't a believer yet, we would call it. But for them, if you didn't believe in Yahweh, you could come here and observe. You could, you could give your, your sacrifices. Someone could bring them in. But you could see what was going on. And so this was the place that the nations could come and meet God and be introduced to God and come to him and believe in God. Coincidentally, this was the whole area that was completely covered now with shops and stalls. And there was no room for the Gentiles to come and worship. Ah, we don't need them anyway. This is for us. This is for the Jews, they would say. So let's just set this up as shops, and, and hey, we don't like Gentiles anyway. Hey, church is for just us Christians. We don't want someone that, that's not like us or a non-believer or, or people that, that don't know God yet to come in, so we're just going to make this for us. And that was a violation of God's intention for worship, a violation of His holiness. This was the only place where non-Jews could come and pray and meditate. And it was a big area, maybe three football fields long. But this was designed to reach the world. It would be a place of prayer and reflection where they could see who God is and see people's devotion to God. In fact, when Solomon built the temple, when he dedicated the temple, we, we read this in 1 Kings, he had spread out his hands toward heaven, he offered his dedication, his prayer of dedication, but at the end, he included a prayer for Gentiles because this was God's heart for, for those that didn't know God. In 1 Kings 8, he said, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, and when he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you to do in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. The purpose of that area 
was for people to come to know Christ. Eventually Christ, but come to know God in the Old Testament. It was designed for evangelism. Because they would come and they would see a people sold out for God and a heart for God and hear of Yahweh's great deeds. And, and think of everything we've, we've studied about Jesus, His heart for the lost. Just last, in the last couple of weeks, we've, He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And we saw the parable of the sheep and the 99 and, and the lost coin. His heart is for the lost. And He walks into this where the only place the lost can come know about God is completely overrun by a marketplace. Yeah, He has a right to be angry. Because they have defiled the purpose of worship. See, worship is for God's glory, but it's for God's glory to all people, not just me. It should always have a heart to see others come to Christ. Always. It should always be looking to bring others in, to show God's glory to others. You know, another quote by Piper, I know Pastor Andrew gave one this morning, but he would, he would famously say, missions exist because worship doesn't. And the point of that is we do missions, we do outreach so others will worship. And and it's symbolized in the temple, in the court of Gentiles, so others can come in and worship. It's why we're doing the missions internship. And if God's nudging you that way, talk to one of our missions team. Because you'll be worshiping by sharing Christ with others. We want to see others worship. Just, Just by the way, if this bothers us, In heaven, you're going to be worshiping alongside people from every tongue and tribe for eternity. So so why not get used to it now? Why not chase it now? This is God's heart. You know, as we we think, okay, how do we apply something like this? I, I want you to think for a minute. How might our worship... And and maybe we we think of the songs for a minute. How might our worship in song affect others that don't know... Christ that may be visiting with us today? What if they see a congregation that is joyously and enthusiastically worshiping God and and we're singing out with with our, our hearts and we're there, we're present with the songs and we're worshiping? What does that say about our God? It says we love Him. It, 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 it brings Him glory by adding to His reputation to others. What if they see us halfway sitting down, halfway standing up, not even caring what's on the screen, not even caring to sing, maybe checking Facebook, sitting, reading, whatever. We are communicating something about our God. And that might be a distraction that keeps them from knowing our God today. We best not set up our own devices or our own ways in this court of Gentiles that was designed for all people. You know, how do we, how do we put this into practice? The first one, joyfully participate in, in Sunday morning. Participate in the songs. Participate in the, in the study of God's Word and not check out while you're here. Because when we check out, we're saying something about our God that He just isn't important enough for us to give an hour and a half of our time. And so we want to joyfully participate so people will see that joy and so people will be drawn into the greatness of our Lord. Has God done anything for you in your life? Amen? Is He a great God and a holy God worthy of praise? Amen. And anyone that comes into this building should see that. Anyone. 
But we've got to be, be here. We've got to be present. We've got to be willing to participate. You know, another, another thing that we try really hard to do, I think we need to be really clear in our worship and be careful of Christianese terms and inside jokes and just things that, that only us know. If we are truly going to have a court of Gentiles, we need to be aware that there may be people that don't know God with us and welcome them. And that, that's part of this is are we welcoming do we include people in, draw them in? Because that's an act of worship. And part of God's heart for worship is so the nations will see the greatness and holiness of our God and they will be drawn in, drawn in. Let's worship in a way that draws people in. So the first thing we see from the story is genuine worship will show Jesus to those that don't know him yet. And we'll be intentional about that. Second and third are are really the same point, but we'll look at two aspects of it. Genuine worship is not self-centered. Genuine worship is not self-centered. And you think of the two greatest commands that Jesus said. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we have them on the the lobby as we go out. Love God, love others. That's sort of my my two parts to this point. Genuine worship isn't self-centered because I'm going to love God most. It's going to be most about God and not me. But genuine worship isn't self-centered because I'm also going to consider others and consider community. So let's take the first one, love God. It's not about me. It's about bringing praise to God. It's not about how I will benefit. It's about how can I honor God and glorify Him. It's not about what I want to see in the service. It's about what does God want to see in the service. And we get that wrong so often. And we want to build church in our own image instead of in God's image. And we get upset about things that are honoring and glorifying to God. And it's an affront to worship. Genuine worship isn't self-centered. It's not about me and how I will benefit. See, they, and Jesus' response is, they had turned a place that was to honor God into a place of commercialism and personal gain. Why would you put the shops here? To make money. This was the best place. Now, keep in mind, there were already a ton of shops outside of the Temple Mount. They could provide this service without infringing on the place of worship. In fact, I think I put a picture up here underneath Robinson's Arch, one of the arches that goes to the Temple Mount, up to the Temple. See those little holes in the wall? Those were actually stalls that they used for the marketplace. And and so little vendors would set up here outside of the temple, outside of the place of worship, outside of the place of hearing, and they would provide these services because some of them were very helpful. And that's a different discussion, but, but I think like changing the money. How else do you do that? Where else do you do it? But instead, they, the, the leaders of the time had said, well, you know what? We could benefit more if we set up our own shops on the Temple Mount. We can freeze these guys out. Put them out of business. The money needs to come to us. And so we see this commercialism, this self-centered, the self-centeredness that says, I want to gain from this. I mean, the, the amount of transactions that were happening were mind-boggling. Records exist of, in one season, 3,000 livestock were brought to the Temple Hill to be sold for offering. 3,000. Josephus, one of the historians of the time, reported that one of the Passover seasons, and this was Passover time, 
255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed. This was big business. And the high priest decided they want to get their cut. Why? Because they were more focused on themselves and what they could gain rather than on worship God. They had forgotten all about worshiping God. What may have started as a service to help worship took the place of worship. Think about that. It took the place of worship. And Jesus was angry. This isn't what he expected. You know, and... and Now, now chances are you're not bringing little lambs to be slaughtered. I get that. But are there ways that we make worship and coming Sunday morning about ourselves and not about God? See, the definition of worship is how do we bow before God, lift Him up, say He is God and I am not. And it's it's not about what I can gain. You know, I've talked to people that have gone to church because, hey, I can build a better network of business contacts there. Is that about God or about me? No, no, that's, that's about me. If, if that's your only reason for coming, don't come. But if you're coming to hear who God is and how great He is and worship Him, that's why we're here. There are so many other ways we make worship about us and not about God. And, and I, I know there's all kinds of debate about songs that are just about how I feel and what I want. And, and we're, we're very careful, actually, to stay away from those. Because worship is about who is God. If you think about some of the songs this morning, you had songs about God's holiness, about God's salvation, about His greatness. They were to elevate who God is. Because that's what God loves. That's what our souls are tuned to. That's when we find fulfillment. It's when we are praising and glorifying our God. See, if we come to church with what can I gain... Or how can church serve me? We've now fallen into commercialism. We've fallen into self-centeredness. We come here so as a community, we can elevate God and serve each other. That's what worship should be. think Think about the hypocrisy of this, of the leaders. We love God. We're leading you to love God. And we're going to defile the place of worship. We must guard our hearts. Are we putting Christ first? Are we putting God first in our worship? Is this about God's gain or about my gain? So so how do we put this into practice? How do we make sure that we're in tune with focusing on God and not ourselves in worship. And we'll get to distractions in a minute, although that fits here. The, the first is, be aware of what we're doing. When we are singing, for instance, read the words. And think about the words. And, and this takes a discipline because it is so tempting to think about everything else. Where are we going for our let's do lunch today? And, and you know what, what's our menu and what's our orders? And hey, I wish the kids would have actually gotten up this morning and come and I wouldn't have had to drag them out of bed. We have all kinds of other things we can think of at that point in time, right? The words are up there because it's a great visual to say, this is what we're singing. God is holy. He is set apart. He is completely pure. Oh, what an incredible God we serve. And so that's going to take some discipline. 
to, to hear the words, to read the words. As we sing, ask, how does this praise God? How does this praise God? And, and if we're singing songs that don't, call us on it. Talk to Joshua, not me. Uh, no. <laughs> no, talk to any of us and say, hey, I don't think that song elevated God. I think that song was more about us than about God. And we've changed songs. We've dropped songs. We've changed wording of songs. I'm thinking of all kinds of examples of that. Are we directing our praise to God? So ask, what does this say about God? It's okay to sing songs then that say, how do we respond to who God is? That is a valid way of getting this into worship, our hearts. How do we respond? So it's okay to sing, we're to be humble before a great God. Purify us. That's very different from, I want to feel really good as I sing this morning. Engage. That's how we make sure this is about God. Make sure we're, we're, we have our Bibles or apps open and we're following along and we're honoring God's word. Genuine worship isn't self-centered. The other part of that, point number three, genuine worship isn't self-centered. We should love others. We should actively seek to help others worship God. This was to be a house of prayer. And it had been, been made into a den of robbers. And, and part of this is understanding they weren't just selling a service. They were taking advantage of people. And so they would, they would sell the temple shekels. They would sell the turtle doves. But they would sell them at such a profit that they lived nicely. That they had lots of gain here. In fact, the people of the time knew that the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, they knew that they were freezing out the other vendors. And because there were also markets on the Mount of Olives, under the Sanhedrin. And it was just maybe a year or two before Jesus came in that they had moved these things to the Temple Mount. And they would then punish vendors that would, that would sell outside of the Temple Mount. And they would sell at a profit. What a great monopoly. We're going to sell here, we're going to double the price, and we're going to punish you if you sell elsewhere. In fact, one of the historians of the time um, called, <laughs> called the high priest Annas and, and Caiaphas the great procurers of money. They were known all about the money. And so they were abusing other people. They were taking advantage of other people. And part of this level of, of worship is, am I right with the people around me? We're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I treating them, my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you know that there's an issue between you and a brother in Christ, deal with it before you leave your gift at the altar, before you worship. Deal with it. Get that right so that way your heart is right to worship. So worship has a vertical element, but it also has a horizontal element. Am I elevating God? Am I treating his people in right relationships? You know, one of the ways that, that we can think through this is, Am I considering community in worship? Am I not distracting others in worship? You know, those, are, those are a couple of different questions. Am I considering community? Am I putting others first? Like Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says. Am I considering them more important than myself? Am I considering that what I'm doing might be distracting to someone else? Am I considering that maybe that's a song I absolutely abhor but they love? 
These are all aspects of putting others before ourselves. Picture the scene, okay? It had to be distracting. Um, we don't have the, the picture of the courtyard up there, but with all those animals and the marketplace happening there, and just a few feet away, people are worshiping a holy Yahweh. How does that work? How does that... I, I want to just take an example of this for us to understand what's going on and the distractions we're going on. I want to sing again together. And we're going to sing holy, holy, holy. I'm going to start us off, so don't laugh. Um, we're going to put the words up here in just a minute. But we're going to sing a cappella and just see what distractions might happen. Okay. Holy, 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 Lord Praise God, He is awesome. What are you feeling right now? (laughs) That should have bugged you. Did it bug you? Do you still remember the song we were singing? It's still up there. That's cheating. (laughs) It got to where I couldn't hear you sing anymore. I couldn't focus with you on who God is. But hey, I hear we have a good deal on shekels somewhere. I don't remember which of our pastors was selling shekels. Um, Turtle doves make you a good deal. Um, That's what the Temple Mount would have sounded like. Probably a little louder with a couple hundred thousand people. Do you think Jesus had a right to be angry? How do we encourage others to worship rather than discouraging? I compound that with they had just come through the, the, the marketplace and they knew they just got ripped off. That's not a great heart for worship. So how do we apply this one? And I want to be careful here because I don't want to be the noise police. I was telling the elders that this morning. And there, in a family, there are some distractions that just happen. And we can't eliminate them all. But we can eliminate some that we are personally responsible for, right? Some that we choose. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's some things that we don't want to be rigid about. Babies cry. There, there's not a lot of good ways to make them shut up immediately. <laughs> People sneeze. Pastors cough. But what can we do to make sure we're not distracting? You know what? And, and there's all kinds of things that, that might be us distracted with other things. If we're sitting there in an aisle and we're checking football scores, I know, games are going right now. That's distracting to people around us. That bothers people. You know, people tell me that if they see someone get up three, four, five times in a service, that's distracting. You don't have to. We can use the restroom before, just to be real practical. But this is a mindset that says, I am going to intentionally start to consider how my actions affect those around me. Am I distracting people? Am I going to stand there and be angry at some parts of the service that I don't like, or I don't like what just happened, or that Pastor Ron just ruined the song, Holy, Holy, Holy? 
Am I going to be upset because they didn't do the songs I liked this morning? Or we had to do things a certain way. Or we did five songs instead of six. And the order of service is all messed up. I know some of our OCD friends, that's important. What are we going to do to make sure we're not a distraction and actually encouraging? Here's the other side of that, the positive side. When I'm sitting with a group of people that are studying God's word and taking notes, do you know what I want to do? Open my Bible and take notes. When I'm sitting with a group of people that are singing out because they love God, I sing a little louder. It covers my voice a little more, which is cool. But, but I sing a little. There, there's an aspect of positive peer pressure where we are encouraging each other by doing the right thing. And, and, and I know this can be hard. Last week, it was either last week or the week before, I'm sitting there and I'm on my phone. And my daughter says, Dad, you're on your phone. You're not supposed to be on your phone right now. And it was during worship. I'm confessing now. And, and I said, sweetie, no, this is okay. <laughs> Let me explain. I actually had the order of service up. <laughs> and there was, there was something that had happened that morning that we had to get someone to fill in for something. So in that case, and, and I bring that up to say there are sometimes legitimate reasons. Some of you are using your Bible as your, your, or your, your app as your Bible, not your Bible as your app. Your app is as your Bible. Some of you are taking notes on that. Some of you come in and you check in on Facebook, which is a wonderful thing. Great way to say, hey, I'm at church. But there are other ways that devices distract us. And it was a good reminder for my kids that they're watching. That they're watching. And, and noticing if I'm on my phone or if I'm paying attention to what's happening up front. Might these things not only be a distraction to others, but disre- disrespect God? If God is holy and I'm elevating him in worship and saying, he is my priority, is he? Man, this is challenging stuff. The gathering is for community to worship God. It's why we do things that intentionally honor community. We leave the lights on rather than go to to theater worship because it's not just me and God, it's us and God. We do other things to say, this is about community. We keep the volume levels to a point where we can hear each other sing because it's about community. It's about getting this right in the gathering of the saints. Those are all intentional things to try to say, we want to make sure worship isn't about ourselves, but about God and loving each other. We have to get through a couple points pretty fast here. Number four, cleanse ourselves. We need to take care of sin in our lives to genuinely worship. We need to take care of sin in our lives to genuinely worship. The beauty of it is you can do that right now. You can do that as you walk in. Think of the phrase den of robbers. That's what Jesus used, right? And that implies that these people, their lifestyle was one of of taking advantage of people, of robbing people. And the den would be where you came back for safety. This is sort of a, a... Huddle place, which was ironically the temple. And so these were people that their hearts were not right with God outside of worship. And so they brought that into worship. And, and in fact, this was a second verse that Jesus quoted. The den of robbers is out of Jeremiah. And he says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? 
and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Jesus quotes this. This is why they're so angry, because they know what this is from. And Jesus just said, your lives are filth, and you're coming into the temple and saying, oh, we're delivered, God is so good. And it is false worship. And it is sickening. And so Jesus calls them on it. says, your lives are disgusting. How are you worshiping? The beauty of it is we can make that right with God. We can confess. And, and, and I would encourage you as you come on Sunday morning, even as you're coming here, make sure you're right with God. If there's stuff in your life that you're struggling with, give that to God as you come in. If you need to, come in early and sit in the chairs and just spend some moments with God and take care of it because that will change your worship. This morning, Justin started with a song just to, to let us reflect and let God purify our hearts. A song of confession. Thank you for doing that. Just to make sure we're right with God. As people came up to the temple, and the people would have understood this idea of cleansing, as you came into the temple, there were many, many mikvahs, they called it, or, or ritual washing, ritual baths, that they would actually cleanse themselves figuratively before they walked up the stairs to worship in the temple. What a great, marvelous picture of how we should be Sunday morning. To cleanse ourselves, to make ourselves ready. To say, I'm going I'm to be right with God and I'm going to come worship with His people and elevate Him. Two other points. Number five, a genuine worshiper will guard worship as vital and important to God. A genuine worship will guard worship as vital and important to God. We see the importance here. But what's interesting is what happened afterwards. Because Jesus cleared the temple, ministry would go on. In 47, he was teaching daily in the temple. He only had to cleanse it once, clear it once. I doubt they came back the next day. He did. And that became his area for teaching. And, and the, the leaders were, were mad. They were angry. They're wanting to destroy him because they're not receptive. They're not open. But in verse 48, they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. And so Jesus took the initiative. He said, I'm going to take care of this. This is important. Clears them out. And the people responded. We can go into that more, but we're out of time. But he took the initiative to say, this is worship and we're to guard this. And we need to take initiative to guard worship in our own midst. To treat this as important. You know, you, you hear me say all the time, come a little early. Worship is that important to God. Treat it as important. The last point, a genuine worshiper is open and receptive to Jesus' authority through the word. How do we show that? Repentance and change. But a genuine worship, genuine worship is open and receptive to what God wants to teach us. When we open the word, it says, what can I learn instead of, oh man, this is going to be awful. Ron doesn't even have any good jokes today. Let's get to lunch. What can we learn? What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us? See, my goal when we come to God's Word, my goal isn't to entertain you. Now, I want to use things that help us learn. The end goal, the question I ask at the end of the day is, have you heard God's Word? There is no other question I want to ask after Sunday. 
Have you heard God's word? Have we been in God's word together? I want to read the, the first few verses of chapter 20 and see how this, this matches a receptivity to the word, a receptivity to Jesus. Let's see if the leaders came and said, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I need to change and I will worship God. In, verse, in chapter 20, verse 1, one day, as Jesus was teaching to the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. They're challenging him. If they can attack his authority, they can stop him, shut him down. People like him too much. He being Jesus answered them. I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? From heaven meaning from God. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death for they're convinced John was a prophet. And so Jesus is tying his ministry to John's, which was a ministry of repentance. Now, now do you catch how they're deciding whether this is true or not? They did a poll. And they're deciding it based on what they think people will answer. And they're saying, if we say it's from God, then we're in trouble because we didn't repent and we didn't respond to God. If we say it's from man, all the people will get mad at us because they like John. And Jesus is really presenting that same dilemma for his ministry. If it's from God, you have to repent and change. If it's from man, then he's a blasphemer. So in seven, they punted. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. They had no answer, so they said, I don't know. And as I tell my kids, I don't know is not an answer. Still not an answer. Come up with something. I don't know was their way of punting because they knew they were, they were in trouble. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And Jesus exposed they were not receptive to the message. In fact, they were defying his authority. They were not going to listen to it. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not going to answer you. In reality, he did through his question. But a genuine worshiper is different from this, is open and receptive to Jesus' authority through the word. Story about Jesus in the temple. We need to wrap up. The question is, what can we learn about genuine worship? And really the biggest question is, is this about God or is this about me? Let's be a church that elevates God, that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Lord God, may we be challenged to worship well, to strip away the the elements of self that we put into worship, to strip away the elements of our own opinions, to strip away the, the cares and distractions of the day and to intentionally focus on your character and your love and your work and your salvation. Lord, that you have come to deliver us from sin and you have come to take the penalty of sin in my place so I can live with you in eternity rather than in eternal punishment. Lord, thank you for those things and we praise you for those things because grace is undeserved and it is completely from your character and from who you are. May we elevate you in a way that the world takes notice and says, 
That is what I want to know more about. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name.